All right, well, good morning, everybody, and good to see you. And we are in our study in the book of Hebrews. And if you have your Bibles, and we're in Hebrews chapter 3. We were here last week, and we began with a challenge from God's Word on the consideration and continuation of uh, people, of faith and believers. And we looked last week of uh, the, the theme being Christ, who is not just a servant, but a son. And a very important role in that aspect of it. Now, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, you'll, you'll discover that, and I, I, it brings me back to my times when I first sat under someone's teaching of this book. It was actually Bob Dowie, and he taught Hebrews at New Brunswick Bible Institute. He also taught it as an extension class, and uh, his messages are available um, as far as MP3 recordings uh, through MBBI. Um, if you're interested in those, let me know, But I, because um, there is available online. But anyways, uh, I sat under that as a, I can't remember if it was a junior student, I think, when I took Hebrews, maybe senior. But I, all of a sudden, it, my eyes opened up to the person of Jesus Christ in a new way. In a new way, in the sense, not because I didn't know him, I, I knew him. He was my savior. And all that, but I began to appreciate who he is even more by going verse by verse through this book. Because the theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. He's better, right? He's better than so many other things. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than sacrifices, right? And we, we've looked at some of that already in the opening. We, we find out he's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things or the upholder of all things. He's the express image of God. The very exact image of God. And that is because he is God. Amen. And the book of Hebrews declares that. In that he is God the Son. He has obtained a more excellent name than the angels. Or any other created thing. He is also the one who is the brightness of God's glory. And his message is a better message. And that's really why the book of Hebrews was written to declare who Jesus Christ is. It is written as the name or the title implies to Hebrew people who were in danger of going back to inferior things, things that could not save, things like the Old Testament rituals and rites that they were bound to under the law, things that pointed to a greater sacrifice that would come, that would one day put away all sin and save them. But it was a danger of going back into the things that could not save. And so the writer here challenges the Hebrew people who were, especially those that were sort of sitting on the fence. And they were wondering, should I go forward and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or should I drift away or go back and trust the things that cannot save? And that challenge is throughout this whole book, over and over and over again as we see that. I'm going to pick it up this morning reading in chapter 3, verse 7. And down to verse 19. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. Therefore as the Holy Spirit says. Today if you will hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness. Where your fathers tested me. Tried me. And saw my works 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation. And said they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom he was angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word, and we are also grateful for the warnings that it has for us and for all who would not believe. And Lord, I pray even this morning as we open up your scriptures, you would teach us as only you can. You'd show us who Jesus Christ is. We'd appreciate him more. We'd understand the holiness of God and the great realities that await the believer and the unbeliever. And so, Lord, I just put this before you today and ask you to teach us, and the Holy Spirit would have his way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have this warning. We kind of ended in this section last week, and it says here, Today, if you will hear his voice, right, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. And then he goes on to say, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. And we read here in this text uh, a warning, and it's a warning that brings us back to uh, a time in the history of Israel, history of a nation, but more specifically the history of a generation. And that's important to make that distinguishing thing because Sometimes we can lump all of Israel in with this unbelieving generation that is talked about. And that isn't the case. There were times of great revivals in the, in the nation of Israel. And, of course, God made himself a people coming out of Abraham and his descendants. And he told, uh, promised Abraham that he would make his seed innumerable. You know, And not all were unbelievers, but there was a generation that was. And that's important to understand that. And that's the backdrop to these chapters, some of them that we'll kind of cover in this chapter and chapter 4 also. And then in chapter 6, it talks more about some things. We're going to cover a little bit of that today and and look at that. But uh, we have God declaring to the Hebrew people that um, he says that there are those in this time, okay, the times shortly after the resurrection of Christ, within that generation anyways. And the, the writer writes here of things that um, are a warning of those that would turn back. And he says, don't be like those in the wilderness who heard him and hardened their hearts. And they turned away because God said, you will not find rest. In the land, and there was an illustration. As I said, the Book of Hebrews explains a lot of the we call types of the Old Testament or shadows of things to come. The picture of 
the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and being delivered by God's mighty hand and the miracle that was involved in that, being led out by Moses, but then going into the wilderness and saying, we want to go back to Egypt. We don't want to enter into rest. And they did so because of unbelief. They did not trust God. They did not believe him. And God said, you won't enter into rest. It was that simple. And it was great judgment that fell upon him. You can read it in Numbers chapter 14 and discover that in Numbers 14, you have there the promise, remember the spies that would go into the land and they said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But then when they come back, all there were 12 spies that spied out the land. 10 of them brought back a bad report. Said, yeah, it's, it's a land flowing with milk and honey and it's a land that, yeah, God's promised us, but, but, we're like grasshoppers, you know, or they're, and, and they're giants in the land. And, and we can't enter. And they didn't believe God. They chose not to believe. They disobeyed what God told them to do, which was to go in and possess the land. All they had to do was go and follow God, and they didn't. So God says, and he was angry with them. We'll talk some more about that. He was so angry with them that he said, this generation will not enter in. And they will not find rest. Now the parallel to that is a better message. That was a good message, a message of good news in the Old Testament for them. There's a better message of good news that is found in salvation through Jesus Christ. And if you will not believe in him, you will not enter into a place of rest in heaven. You will not enter into his glorious presence. And we'll explain some more about that later. But... Um, this is important because we find out that this generation that was listening to the word of God that is addressed here to the Hebrew people in our text, they were the ones that were to give heed to that message. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away or fall away. And the danger was this, and it's not. we'll talk about this, not the difference of backsliding and, but it's an unrepentant heart, and un, an, a heart that is, is uh, against God. It's not a, a backsliding condition. Sometimes we think of it that way. And I'll explain more, hopefully, later as we go through this. But in danger of hearing God, because remember in chapter 1 and in verse 1, it opens up with God speaking, right? God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken, right, unto us by his Son. And the final revelation, the final message to mankind is Jesus Christ. And if you do not hear him, as he says, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, then there's no other way of salvation. There's no other way to find repentance. There's no other way to escape the holy wrath of God. And in Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 11, he says that. He talks about that. The Lord speaking here, he says, So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. He's referring to that generation that did not enter in to the land of Canaan. And now the word swore there doesn't mean that, that the Lord used foul language. It, it means to take an oath, all right? And we still use that in the taking of oaths today. We swear allegiance to something or we swear that we'll tell the whole truth and, and you know, all the truth and the whole truth, nothing but the truth, right? And we say, so help me God. And when we do that, we are basing our swearing of an oath on the character of God. 
And that's important because you see, if God was going to let in a generation of unbelievers into a place of rest, it would be a direct violation against the character of a holy God. That's important to understand. And it's important to understand that in the plan of salvation, which the Lord offers to all who will believe, if you say, no, I'm going to do it my own way, or no, I don't want to go that direction, and I'm going to be disobedient to the good news, the gospel message, I'm going to do what I think is the way of salvation, not the way God tells me, then you will not enter into rest. And it's on the basis of God's character that he says no. God swore an oath on his own character saying they will not enter my, my rest. And my friends, that is an important note as we look at that. Because it is God's character at stake. Can you imagine if God says here is the best thing that you could ever have. It is the way of salvation. It is a costly way. The price necessary for this is an immeasurable price. Because it costs God the Son his very life at the cross and he says this is the way of salvation that's what jesus said by the way i am the way the truth and the life and no one comes on to the father except through me and he says here is the only way of salvation and you turn around you say ha i don't want that i'm going to do my own thing i'm going to go out i'm going to maybe give alms to the poor you know or I'm going to build a house for somebody, you know, whatever, in a, in a country that they don't have housing or something like that. Uh, or I'm going to go and just be good to my neighbor. And I'm going to do things that, don't, none of those things are bad, are they? But what have you done? You have traded inferior things for the glory of God and the only true way. And that's so often how people come. They say, my good works surely will save me. And I'll just do a few more good works. And hopefully at the end, some, you know, we kind of picture God as this old grandfather in heaven saying, oh, okay, that's all right. We'll let you in. The Bible says no. God swore he would not allow them into a place of rest in his presence because they rejected him in unbelief. And my friends, there is a danger when we have that kind of attitude also. And I say we as, as a people. I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we'll get to this in a moment here. Uh, this is not about or whether you have once believed or not. Because if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will enter rest. We have that promise. And we are eternally secure in him. Can a believer still have unbelief in his heart? Yes, he can. But we'll talk about this because he says... There's a difference between unbelief on, in the life of a believer uh, or those that were there. There were times Moses didn't fully believe God, right? And there were others that didn't fully believe God, yet they were listed as people of faith in Hebrews 11 and others. Um, but there's an evil heart of unbelief when we are intent on not believing ever and receiving him. And if you are in that condition, then you're not saved. It's pretty clear. And that's a, that's a danger. And we'll talk some more about illustrations of that, how it happens. See, the book of Hebrews has some things that um, I think it bothers most people. It bothers me when I first read through the book of Hebrews and didn't have someone to explain it. And I kind of went, wow. So it means that if, if I don't believe like fully that I can't enter in, and I was worried and I thought I'm going to lose my salvation. Um, 
And first of all, leave the book of Hebrews where it, what it says, it says. I'm not going to change what it says. But I will say it this way, that coupled with the rest of Scripture and the illustrations that he's using and the people he's writing to, it is a warning. It is a warning to those who do not believe and have never believed. And uh, in chapter 6, we come to these verses, and, and we'll have another message on this, but it says there, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And when you look back at Hebrews chapter 3, where we've been, and you look at Hebrews 6, it makes more sense. You see, there was a danger of those, just like in the wilderness experience in Numbers chapter 14, they were able to partake of the miracles of God, they, they had certainly the word of God. They had a prophet, Moses, in their midst. They received the, the actual stone tablets with the law of God engraved by the finger of God. Boy, it doesn't get much better than that as far as the authorship of the word of God. And we have all of those things. He provides manna for them. Daily sustenance that came down from heaven and they ate it every morning. They were able to collect up the manna. And, and, the, and God provided quail because they started complaining. And there was all these things. Throughout that whole experience, God performed his side of things by being merciful, gracious. I mean, overly gracious to them, right? And yet they complained. And they didn't believe. And God says, because of your unbelief, you will not enter in. And so this is very simple, uh, simply... I think a commentary on that generation. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Were they enlightened? Absolutely. They had the word of God. They had a prophet of God. They had all of that. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They did. They partook literally of manna which God provided for them. And then were they partakers of the Holy Spirit? Yes, they were. God himself led them. And you think about that in that time. And they've tasted of the, of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. He warned them over and over and over again of that. And then he says here in Hebrews, current, present tense, in this way, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open chain. The, the Jack Karen version of that verse boiled down is this, <clears throat> is that, there is no other way of salvation. And if you want to go to find another way of salvation, all you're doing is crucifying again the Son of God. Because His sacrifice apparently wasn't enough. And that's like taking the gift of God that He presents, and He says, my perfect salvation, which was enough once for all. And you say, it's not good enough. If you do that, all you're doing is crucifying the Son of God open again. And in, you're not really doing that, but that's how it is. It's like rejecting it. We're, we're saying, we don't want a God like that. Put him back on the cross. Watch out. Because our attitudes sometimes speak volumes of what our heart is like. It says it's impossible to renew such a one into repentance. Now, that's... Uh, that's a hard thing. You say, wow, 
Is it possible that people can come to a point where they, they can never repent? And I would say yes, very much. Because the Bible says that. Where is that line? Well, I will say two things. There's a difference between rejecting with your eyes wide open and rejecting in ignorance. There's a lot of people who are ignorant today, and they are ignorant of the gospel. They're ignorant of things. They may even sit in a church for years, and they don't fully understand or hear, and they're ignorant of things, and, and yet they repent. So it's not like a one-time thing that, oh, I don't believe, or I, I'm in a state of unbelief, and, and therefore I can never repent. That's not what the, is being taught here at all. But it's this issue of coming to a point where you will no longer find a way to enter into rest. The people of God in Numbers 14 wanted to repent and they never did. They ended up not entering into rest. And that really says a lot about that. And um, there's, there's lots of things. And I, as I said earlier, we're not talking about backsliders here. We're talking about unbelievers. There's a big difference. You see... For a Christian, um, it is not impossible for you to repent if you backslide. So I think all of us have times we backslide, right? There's times where you're just not right with the Lord. You know it. And you're backslidden. The Bible uses that term. But there's a place of repentance for you. There's no reason you stay in that condition. You can repent. And he's there. So that's not talking about you if you're backslidden. He doesn't want you in a backslidden condition either. Sometimes the, the, the very similar look to it on the outside, but there's a difference on the inside. Um, it's the difference between an apostate and a backslider. An apostate is one who has purposely rejected the way of God. In this case, the way of Jesus Christ. It's impossible for those, or it comes a time, it's impossible for those who, who have willingly rejected and come to that point to renew them to repentance. There comes a point. By the way, I'm not the one that determines that. God is. It's a good thing because there's times I think that guy will never get saved because he's all he is is a blasphemer. Well, we'll we meet a few of those in Scripture that found repentance. I think a good illustration would be Judas Iscariot. Because um, we go back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11. He says, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, the evil heart, that's really what is talked about there. And that, I don't know if I can circle. Oh, I can. Look at that. Evil heart. That's a term that is used here very clearly. It is the idea of a heart that is not only turned away from God, but it is bent on doing evil against God. And he couples it here, the, the author couples it here with unbelief. And there are those who, in their unbelief, have an evil heart that is just trying to thwart everything about God. And we see it in the world system around us, don't we? We see it in people that have an absolute hatred for the things of God. And it's not enough that you accept them. It's enough that they are determined that you, you do the same things they do, right? We see a lot of that going on in our world. And they're trying to capture the minds of the children all the way to the elderly, right? And doing that. And they have an evil heart of unbelief. And it's possible with that evil heart that you depart from the living God. Because that's what happens. We push away from God and we depart from Him. Now, Judas, as I said, was a good example of that. In John chapter 6, you have here Jesus teaching. 
He's uh, teaching on the, the, the fact that he's the bread of life. Now, what happens in John chapter 6 in the beginning? Anybody remember? There's a miracle that takes place. It had something to do with eating, so I thought you guys would all get it quick, right? Feeding of the thousands. Sorry, 5,000 is probably more than that, definitely. Thousands of people that were there. Uh, they're numbered as men. So you have the feeding that is going on. And the disciples were there. And they, they saw the miracle of God. They were the ones that God chose, by the way, and they were with him. At the end of that, they collect up 12 basketfuls of extra scraps. One of those went to Judas, you realize. Judas actually partook of that heavenly food, and he ate of that, or he would anyways. And then it goes on, and it says this, or maybe I didn't read it, I don't know. It says, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. And he's referring to the spiritual application of eating his body and drinking his blood. We don't physically eat the body of Christ or drink the blood of Christ. But that is a spiritual application of identifying with his death. And that's what he teaches. He he says it. It is the spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. He's talking to his disciples. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So there were, there were some that said, I, I've had enough of this. This wasn't the 12 only, but the 12 were there, just so you know. And then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But... Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's true. You will not find eternal life in any other person but through Jesus Christ. It's it. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is the devil? He's referring to Judas. Now, none of the others knew who it was. And I imagine they all went, whoa, you know. And I imagine there were some that were there going, man, I hope it's, it might be me. You know, maybe he caught one of the disciples, you know, they were, his mind was wandering <laughs> in some lustful thought. Or, or he was, there was somebody that woke up that morning and thought, oh, man, we're poor again. We have no food. We have no shelter. Why are we following Jesus? And maybe they were saying, oh, maybe, maybe it's me. No, there was one. There was one who didn't just have unbelief in his heart but he had an evil heart of unbelief in john 13 they're at the what we call the last supper right and jesus has just washed their feet and he he's serving them he's he's showing how we ought to be serving and all of that and and of course the picture of the passover meal is is a picture of the death of christ the meal itself could not save anybody but the savior who would fulfill the passover he would save right Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. The other disciples didn't know why he said that. They didn't know why. Why did did Jesus just say that to Judas? See, Judas on the outside he looked like a real deal. He looked like the one who was 
numbered with them and, and everything was good. But now Jesus says, go do what you do. Whatever you do, do it quickly, you know. He was going to betray the Lord. Just as Jeremiah the prophet prophesied that one of them would betray him. In Matthew 27, in verse 1, it says, One morning came all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. This is after the betrayal of Judas. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought them or brought, bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called a field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what the what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying and they took the 30 pieces of silver the value of him who was priced whom they of the children of Israel priced and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me fulfillment of scripture but it was fulfilled in a man who rejected with an evil heart of unbelief and that was Judas in John 6 we see Judas Warned, Jesus says, one of you is the devil. Judas was warned. We see him enlightened, right? And we see he was, as he was numbered with the, the disciples, all of that. But he was enlightened. That's John 13. And, and in John 13, he, he was, his decision is a rejection decision. And then in Matthew 27, he appears to change his mind. It doesn't really say change. He was remorseful. You know, there's a lot of remorse that goes on. It doesn't mean people have repented from sin. Sometimes somebody will go out and do something, you know, very sinful, and it causes great division in a family, or it causes a lot of damage, or, or even maybe destroys a life, and they feel bad about it. There's a lot of convicted criminals that in their sentencing time, you see them crying and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And, and some may indeed have an attitude of, of reconciliation with the Lord. I'm not denying that. But that's not what Judas did. Judas sought repentance, but he didn't find it. You know why? Because God swore an oath that he wouldn't enter in because of an evil heart of unbelief. And sadly, he kills himself. You see, Judas tried to change his mind even took the money and he gave it back and all of that and those that had betrayed Christ and the chief priest and everybody else they all realized what was going on they didn't want any part of it either anymore and they took that money and they went out and bought a potter's field potter's field is a place that was owned by a potter at one time and they tell me it had its name from that because there's a lot of evidence of uh, at one time that field produced a clay that could be taken and then added with water and it could be taken they could take that clay and they could mold pots and other vessels out of that clay but 
some, there comes a time when the clay is so hard that it can't be used. And you know, the, in the hands of the potter, it wasn't the potter's fault, by the way, when the clay becomes hard. <laughs> but the potter couldn't do anything with it, and so the potter throws it back in the field. There's a picture there of exactly what Jeremiah prophesied about in his day, but also what Judas fulfilled is that his heart was hard and he could not repent. Judas would not respond and he was buried in the potter's field. How fitting. Now I say, what's the difference between Judas and maybe someone that is a backslidden believer? You know, you might have denied Christ like Simon Peter did. He denied Christ. Why isn't he in the potter's field? Well, because he... Was an unbe- he wasn't an unbeliever. He was a believer who was in a momentary, you know, for a, for a time, unbelief and doubt came into his heart, and he, in his moment he said, I don't know the man. But he was still one of his. And he found repentance, didn't he? And you see that. And when he says, take heed, right, lest an evil heart uh, is there. And the word really for evil it's the word that um pronarios pronarios and it means that it is actively working against that which is good and that's how judas was he was actively working against that which was good take heed my friends and we have the warnings from scripture there are another uh appearances of that in scripture as well and by the way in romans chapter 5 verse 9 it says this much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him amen Amen, for sure you know why because if you're justified by jesus christ that means a declaration of righteousness you will be saved from his wrath in hebrews 3 you have god swearing an oath that he's he's uh, an oath of wrath so it's not on believers. It's on unbelievers. And just so you know that. There are many illustrations throughout scripture. But let me go on. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end. Now, I've already mentioned that in the last message. The word if there is not, it is a, uh, it's not conditional, it's evidentiary. In other words, it's not, if I hold to Christ, I will be saved. It's, if you are one of his, you will be saved. It's evidentiary. When you get to heaven, you'll say, ah, oh, he's true. I'm saved from the wrath of God because of him. And that word if is used in that that way in that section. Again, there's a danger of being enlightened in understanding and turning away in a heart of unbelief. And for that individual or, or group of people or generation or whatever, there is no other way of salvation. There are time and time again illustrations in scripture. I think of Felix in the days of Paul, right? Paul is arrested, he's brought before Felix, the governor, and it says, And after some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Seemed to be in a genuine interest from Felix 
in who Jesus was. I mean, after all, this is Paul that had caused such an uproar everywhere he went. He was, he was like, you know, everywhere he went, there were people that were wanting to kill him. They were taking oaths that they were going to kill him, make sure he was dead, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he wanted to hear why Paul was so dedicated to the message of the good news of Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. The word for afraid in the Old English, trembled. He was so fearful, he trembled. And he answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Mr. Dowie said of those words, I remember it, said, nobody can make a convenience of God. Nobody can make a convenience of God. God works in his own timing and by his own grace and mercy. And this may have been the only time Felix would ever have an opportunity to repent. Apparently he understood because he he trembles. He understood what it was to fall into the hands of a living God, a God who would judge him. You know what Felix says though? Go away for now. Go away for now. Not today. You see, the Bible says, today, if you will hear him, harden not your heart. Felix said, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. God, my appointment book is here and you don't fit in it. But when I have an opening, I might give you a call. Right? We've all had those kind of situations. When <laughs> My doctor last week, I was supposed to have my annual physical, and he got sick. So, I, I mean, doctors get sick, right? So they called me and said, oh, we can't, we can't schedule you for now. We're going to have to schedule you out for another month and a half or something like that. And I, that's fine. Um, and, and I thought about that. I thought, you know, it's pretty tight, you know. Can't just fit me in again. It wasn't really convenient for the doctor. It wasn't convenient for me and a lot of things like that. But when it comes to God and the message of salvation and the good news of the gospel, listen, when he speaks, you better listen. And when he speaks, you better obey it. That's the message. Meanwhile, while he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, he was really hoping for a bribe, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. So there's a little bit more. Look what it says. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. There's never any evidence that Felix repented. He had a heart of unbelief. God is reasonable, though. You see, you may be sitting here today or listening to this message, or you may be on the fence saying, I'm not sure I want to believe yet. And this message is for you also, because you are considering those things. And though I said that um, nobody can make a convenience of God, God has conveniently offered himself to reason with us, just like Paul reasoned with Felix. God doesn't give up that easy. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And we're reminded that God is holy. 
And he offers a place for us to be holy. And only holy people can be in the presence of a holy God. In Hebrews 10 verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You know, he's a living God and he's alive today. And he wants you to hear him. He wants you to be part of what he's doing. And my friends, again, there's a difference between unbelief and in a Christian in an, un, in an evil heart of unbelief there's a big difference for instance there's times where um, we harden our hearts well, let me just read this it says while it is said today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion for who having heard re- rebelled indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses now with whom was he angry for 40 years Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Obey what? Obey the word of God. Obey God's good news. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. That's the key, unbelief. The people there were not believing in God, period. And as I said, there's a difference when we have unbelief in our hearts because all believers have unbelief in their hearts at times uh, for instance Philippians 4.19 this verse says but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus amen to that so long as I got money in my bank account when there's no money in the bank account that sometimes doesn't really work why? because I have a little bit of unbelief sometimes does that mean I've lost it? No. It means that I need to get back and get right with him. But there are times we doubt. And I know that many of you probably have found yourself doubting that. How can God provide for little old me in this great need that I have? And then you see him do it. And he does. And he's reliable. And no matter what, he will, he will get us there, doesn't he? Um, were there times that the disciples doubted? Oh, man. Over and over again, right? How about the time when they're on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is asleep in the boat and the only problem is that he's asleep in the middle of a great storm and there's more water going into the boat than out of the boat and if you know anything about boats, that's not good. And they're worried. They're worried. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? See, unbelief had crept into the boat. Not in Jesus, nothing wrong with Jesus, but there were some problems with the disciples. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And so the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the seas obey him? See, God at work in our lives continues to establish that trust and faith, and I'm thankful he's like that. Because I not only can camp on the promises of God because he said it, but also because he shows it. And again, over and over again, right? Um, Matthew 10 is another illustration. And they're worried about tomorrow, right? They're worried about uh, provisions and all that. And and he, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Amen. He does it on one hand with me. But anyways, 
Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. His eye is on the sparrow, his eye is on you. And we could go on on that. Mark chapter 9. Remember, there's a demon-possessed son. And a man from the crowd comes and brings his son, and he has this spirit within him, and, and the spirit would seize the young boy and throw him and, and all that, and nothing could be done. He gnashes with his teeth, all those things. And Jesus says this, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he was thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. See, that's the prayer of the believer. Lord, I believe. And you may remember a time when you said, I believe. Maybe you've had some doubts come in since then. Say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And that's exactly what he did, right? Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? And then it talks about their corpses falling in the wilderness, right? And as I said before, there's a difference between those who were enlightened and know and those that do it in ignorance. I think a good illustration of that is Paul, the apostle, versus his old life as Saul, the Pharisee. Paul writes to Timothy, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You see, he was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a zealot of the Pharisees, all of that. And he had that desire, and yet he was doing it in ignorance. And the writer in the book of Hebrews is saying, trust me, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. It's the Lord speaking. And and the bottom line is today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your heart as you hear him. Because it's a matter of entering into rest. It's a matter of entering into rest. You know, I've flown a few times over the years, many times over the years, and I'm always amazed when you get in an airplane and you're getting ready and it's getting ready to taxi down the runway and then it's sitting at the end of the runway. It's just getting ready to take off. The engines get roaring and, and, and you guys that have flown, you know that feeling. And I have looked around sometimes to see how people are, are acting. There's one guy he's sitting over here, he's sound asleep. Just sound asleep. He's not even listening to the instructions of how to evacuate the airplane, you know. He just, he's resting. And maybe he's a frequent flyer, I don't know. Uh, there's another person over here, and they're doing the sign of the cross and got, looking for a Bible, you know. Yeah, you have that. And, and then you have, you know, somebody crying up there for whatever reason. You know, this, and you have all kinds of different attitudes and emotions going on. But, you know, the safest way of travel today is still airplanes, believe it or not. I know it doesn't seem like that, but it is. And, and imagine if you had an airplane that the factors of crashes didn't play at all. Like, for instance... 
Airplanes crash because of pilot error or crew error of some sort, mechanical problems, or outside their control weather or something like that, bird strikes, those kind of things. But imagine if you had an airplane that you'd never had a mechanical failure. You always had a pilot that could fly it perfectly. And you never had to worry about outside events inter, you know, getting in there and, and thwarting your journey, right? Who wouldn't sign up for something like that, right? Now, it doesn't mean that you're still not in the airplane doing the sign of the cross and worried and all that stuff, and that happens, right? But it doesn't change the destination. The destination is fixed because Christ is our pilot. He is the one who will get us there. And he is the vessel that carries us there. And if you say, no, I don't want that, there's no other way. Let's pray. Lord, we're reminded that today, if we'll hear your voice, do not harden our hearts. Do not let us harden our hearts. And Lord, there's a place of rest for the people of God. Help us to enter into that rest, Lord. Help us to walk as in faith, even as believers, Lord, that sometimes doubt and, and worry and have all these problems that arise out of those doubts. And God, help us just to be resting in Jesus Christ today. We thank you for that. And Lord, if there's someone here or would be listening to this message that is in danger of turning away altogether and never believing. Oh God, may you get a hold of them before it's too late. Before they find no repentance. And so Lord, we thank you for all that. We commit this message to you in our time. and We ask Lord, you'd help us to think on these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we're dismissed this morning.